Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace City. My name is David Hederman. I'm a teaching pastor here. Thank you so much for joining us online and being a part of our community. To our moms that are listening, happy Mother's Day to you all. With the shelter-in-place orders across our nation, you all have been working overtime. No doubt you've had so many new roles and responsibilities added to you on what was probably already a very full plate. And just you have loved and served your families in so many ways. And so hear me when I say it, thank you. Thank you for the ways that you have cared uh, for your loved ones. And we hope today that you feel celebrated and that you feel appreciated. Thank you so much for everything that you do for your families. It's in the opening few months of Jesus's earthly ministry where he shows the authority and the power that he has through both his teachings and the miracles that he performs. And as he does this, he, he not only shows himself to be Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one of God, as he is God in the flesh, he's also revealing to the world the character and the nature and the attributes of the one true God. Jesus is, is putting flesh and blood on God's compassion, love, and mercy uh, for all the world to see. And so with his teaching and with his miracles, these were, were signs early on that really validated his ministry and his message. He does have this power. He does have this authority as he is the Messiah. However, it's at the end of his earthly ministry where Jesus will leave an ongoing sign. He will leave in place an ongoing miracle that will perpetually be a sign of the authority and power that he has in this world. My goal today is to help us see this ongoing miracle, is to help us see this ongoing sign of his power and authority and to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that no matter your background, no matter your current situations, he has made a way for you and for me to participate in this miracle and show the whole world the hope that is found in him and in the work that he is doing. And so for us to see that with the miracle that he's left, that this ongoing miracle, for us to see and appreciate that, I think it would be wise or would be helpful if we would look and see the first miracles that he uh, performed to be able to, to see how these are all signs that point to the authority and the power that he has as the Messiah. And so for that, go to Mark chapter one. Mark chapter one, specifically, we're going to get, be in the back half of Mark chapter one. We're going to start at verse 35 in just a bit, because what Mark does is he gives us really a series of miracles because it's a very busy day for Jesus. He's going to teach in the synagogue, and then he's going to be doing miracles late into the night, and then he's going to have an early start the next morning. And, and through all of this, he's again showing us the authority and power that Christ has in this world. And it starts with Jesus teaching in a synagogue. Mark 1, 21 through 28, Jesus is teaching in a synagogue and teaching in a way that people had never heard of before. They were seeing and just amazed at the authority with which Jesus spoke. Other rabbis would quote other rabbis and Jesus is just teaching, teaching the words, teaching scripture and teaching about who God is. And, and people were uh, amazed by that. But while he's teaching, there was a man in the synagogue who was afflicted by a demon and Jesus goes to cast out that demon. And when he does, that demon addresses Jesus as the Holy One of God. And Jesus casts out the demon, silences that demon in front of all the people. And as you would imagine, that was quite the scene. Word about that quickly spread really out of the synagogue, across the city, and really across the entire region, that there was this rabbi named Jesus who had the power to cast out demons. 
But Jesus's day wasn't done at the end of the time in the synagogue. He goes home with Peter and Andrew, or, or Simon uh, and, and Andrew. And while there, Peter, or Simon Peter's mother-in-law was sick. And Jesus cures his mother-in-law, miraculously heals her and, and returns her strength back to her. And word about that also spreads so much so to where that night, People from all over the region have come back to town to bring, bringing their sick and bringing even those that were afflicted by demons to uh, the doorstep of Peter's home so that Jesus could heal them. And so he works into the night, um, casting out the demons, uh, healing the sick, and, and, and it turns into a time of healing and restoration and renewal for so many. In fact, it was such a joyous time that many were hoping that there would be a sequel, that it would happen the very next day again as more people came and found Jesus and were, were healed by the miracles that he performed. And it would, it just wouldn't happen in the way or rather in the place that they expected. And this is where we come into the text. Mark chapter one, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So you can see and understand what's happened there, right? After this incredible night of, of, of healing and, and miracles that, are, that have been performed, other people have showed up looking for that same thing to happen, yet Jesus isn't there, right? Jesus is, is off praying by a solitary place. Simon or Simon Peter and the disciples go looking for him. When they find him, hey, Jesus, all these people are looking for you. They, you know, all these people are looking for, for you and the work that you're doing. And how does Jesus respond? Well, let's go somewhere else so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. That's why I've come. That's a strong corrective statement by Jesus given the circumstances. I mean, his popularity is soaring because of his miracles and because of his, because of his teaching. People are coming in droves to see him, to get their miracle. And, and, and then this one sentence, and this one sentence, Jesus lets his disciples know his priorities. Let's go somewhere else to preach. That is why I've come. Like that's his focus. That's his ministry. That's his, his, his main focus. That's his message. And so these, these miracles that were happening, they were good, but they were pointing to his message. The, these miracles, they were demonstrating the authority and the power that he has in the kingdom of God. Now, if you'll notice, he's, he still does these miraculous things. He just does them and, and, and teaches. He just does this throughout all of Galilee, not just in one area. And he, he goes to these other places because again, the miracles, these acts, they were all done to point to and to accentuate his message. And Jesus is spreading the message. He's spreading the hope of the kingdom of God. And he's expressing that hope in, in these very real and tangible ways. Now, Mark's going to give us one more way that he expresses uh, in, in these tangible ways the, the hope of the kingdom of God. And he does this by giving us the story of when Jesus heals a leper. And, and when Jesus does this, um, it, it's, it, not only does it demonstrate the power and the authority of the kingdom of God, Jesus curing the leper, it speaks so much to the character of God, to the love and the grace and the mercy and the compassion of God. And, and you get that, you can understand that when you really 
understand kind of how leprosy was viewed in this culture and in this context. If someone had leprosy, they were considered especially judged by God because it was such a, a, a horrific disease, right? If someone got leprosy, not only did they have a disease that would eventually take their life, but they had to be ostracized. They had to be quarantined. They had to shelter in place away from all their loved ones, away from uh, all that they held dear. And so the rest of their life would be lived in isolation. And you can just imagine just how lonely uh, and, and how uh, devastating it would be to, to get such a disease. But once more, as if, as, as if, it, was, if it was believed that this was a, an especial, a special judgment by God on an, on an individual's life for some sin in their life, then for it to be taken away, it could only be taken away by God. So God gives it and God takes it away. That's why when Jesus heals the leper, it has huge ramifications. Not only does it restore someone back to their community, which would be just a cause for incredible joy, but it shows definitively that Jesus is God in the flesh. And even for those that looked and watched and saw that, even for the skeptic, the skeptic would have to admit that Jesus is at least working on behalf of God or a representative of the kingdom of God. And so again, Jesus curing leprosy, and he's going to do it almost more than any other miracle that he does. It, it speaks to the authority, and the, the authority and the power that he has to do such a thing. But this leper in Mark chapter one, he hears of Jesus, the rabbi who can cast out demons, who's healing so many people from their sicknesses and ailments that he thinks maybe, just maybe, Jesus could do something about his disease. Let's pick back up the text. Mark chapter one, verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. So the leper does right by coming to Jesus. He wants to be healed. He believes help is found at Jesus. But there does seem to be, seem to be an indication of a lack of faith uh, in, in the, uh, on the part of the leper. A lack of faith, not in the power of Jesus, but there's a lack of faith in the compassion of Jesus. There's a lack of faith in the love and the grace and the mercy of God. Because the man's like, I know you can heal me if you're willing. And how does Jesus reply to that? Verse 41 that we read together says, Jesus was indignant. Now, in my in my Bible, in the NIV, it says Jesus was indignant, but there's a footnote. And in the footnote, it says many manuscripts say Jesus was filled with compassion. And that might be what some of your translations say. I think the ESV and the NASB, these are all Bible translations, has Jesus was filled with compassion. And when I, I saw that, that was, you know, that, that's a question. You know, preaching, working through the text is like, well, which is it? Is he indignant? Is he, some, some translations even say that he was angry or is he full of compassion? Because those two, to me, I, they, they don't seem to mix. But then I remembered, it's Mother's Day. It's Mother's Day. Those two absolutely can coexist. Because parents, mothers, fathers, you know there are occasions when at one moment your heart can be so full of compassion and love and mercy for your child, at the same time frustrated that they aren't taking steps to grow and mature. Maybe 
even angry that they are questioning what uh, the love that you have for them and that you want what is good for them. You want what is right for them. You want what is beneficial to them, yet they're refusing to be able to see it. And I think in this, with the, the kind of the, the varying translations of this, I think you can see this mixture with Jesus, that there's compassion, but there is also a sense of frustration as well. There's compassion because Jesus heals him, right? He's willing to heal this man from the get-go, but he also doesn't need the challenge to his nature or to his attributes. And so with this, Jesus, he's revealing God's character and God's heart and that always, even regardless of what we think about him, God always desires to bring about our eternal healing and our eternal restoration. Why? Because God is a God of love and he is a God of compassion, we, in response, must trust in him. Not only that he can do such a thing, but that he wants to do such a thing. And so we're seeing this interaction with Jesus and this man with leprosy and Jesus having the, the, the power, the ability to heal him in this way and how this reveals God's love and God's compassion in this setting and in this situation. And all these miracles, all these teaching times, they're all signs that point to who Jesus is and the message that he preached. These were signs that spoke to the power and authority of Jesus as he is the Messiah, as he is God's son engaged in God's work. Now, with this, these signs are also ways in which Jesus is really kind of living out his own words. In his Sermon on the Mount, he has a teaching time of how you can discern a true from a false prophet. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 through 20, Jesus said this, "'Watch out for false prophets.'" They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So these signs and miracles, they validated the authority and the power that he has as Messiah. And it demonstrated the truth of who he is and showed what it is that he would do. But as I said at the start, there is an ongoing miracle that is perpetually a sign of Jesus's authority and power in this world. And for that, we need to go to Galatians chapter five. Because in Galatians chapter five, the apostle Paul is writing to the church in Galatia to encourage them to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, we believe that when we place our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God comes and dwells within the life of every believer. And that is an ongoing miracle that we participate in. And as we live, as we live by the Spirit, and as we live with the Holy Spirit inside of us, this also brings a freedom to our life from the vices and sins of this world that can, that can ail the soul, that can afflict the soul. Look at how Paul teaches this or how Paul describes this, the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives when he writes this, Galatians chapter five, verse 13 through 25. So it's a bit of a read. Then we'll come back and, and see what it is that Paul's laid out for us. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by one another, by each other. 
So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So again, it's, it's a bit of a read, right? There's a lot of text that we covered, but what Paul has just laid out, it really flows a, a logical order. Uh, uh, he's just logically laid this out, that one that we are in Christ, we are free. But it's not just a, a, a freedom from, it's a freedom to. Okay, we, we have a freedom to be able to serve one another. We have a freedom to love our neighbor as ourselves, And that is a freedom too, because otherwise we would be held captive to our own selfish desires. And that selfish desire makes us to where we want to use one another for personal gain, use one another for personal enjoyment or our attempts at fulfillment. And that always comes out in broken and destructive ways. So much where as Paul says, we devour one another. So to fight this, Paul says, live by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And he lists out all the desires of the flesh. And it has everything from witchcraft and orgies to envy and discord. There are so many ways that you and I can, can show, uh, there's so many ways that, that people can show ourselves to be living for ourselves, not under anyone's authority but our own. There's no love, there's no compassion, there's no grace for anyone. And there's no aspects of the kingdom of God in that list. But then Paul gave to us the fruits of the Spirit. These are the fruits of the Holy Spirit that he miraculously produces in the lives of those who follow Jesus. Now know this, it's not that that we have all of these perfectly in our lives. There, There are plenty of times where I trade peace for discord. There are plenty of times where I exchange love for fits of rage. There are plenty of times where where I trade self-control for envy and jealousy. But in those moments, the Holy Spirit is there to, to convict me, to help me see my sin, to help me return from it. It's when we submit our lives to Jesus that we're showing that we are under his authority. We're under the authority of the kingdom of God And with that, we're showing the power of the Holy Spirit to transform us and refine us into his image. That's a sign that points all to the truth of who Jesus is and the hope that we have in him. It is a sign that we belong to Jesus. In John chapter 13, verse 34 through 35, Jesus is preparing his disciples for the ministry that he is about to entrust to them with his death, resurrection, and ascension. And there he tells them this, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. 
Now, this was a, a verse that we spent a month on last September, but I wanted it in front of us again because it's another way that our lives serve as a sign of the ongoing authority and power of Christ in this world. Because when by the power and miraculous work of the Holy Spirit, we love others the way that Christ has loved us, we show ourselves to be his disciples. It's a sign that our lives have been redeemed by him. It draws others to the hope that we have found in him and they get to witness firsthand the transformative, his transformative effect on our life and on our doctrine. And know this, know this, all right? When that transformation happened, when our lives begin to bear the fruits of the Holy Spirit and we're loving others in this way, know this, that's not the end game. Really good for that to happen, but it's not the end game because there's so many times where I've thought that that's the case. And when that's the case, it's, it's the, the end of it ends up being, well, man, look at him. He's really nice. <laughs> or you're like, you know, look at her. She's, she's, a, she's a really nice person. That's someone that you can really count on. Okay, if we think that's the end game, that's similar to those people that thought Jesus should only be about the miracles. And how did he respond? Let me leave and go somewhere else so I can preach there. That is why I've come. All right? These are the fruits of the Spirit in our life. These are signs pointing to the hope that we have in Jesus and shows that our lives are being transformed by his power and by his authority. You see, we aren't refined into the image of Christ to be well thought of by others. We are refined in the image of Christ so that our lives are evidence that Jesus is who he says he is and that he did what he claimed to do. Our lives are refined into the image of Christ to serve as evidence that Jesus is who he says he is. You see, and we participate in the ongoing miracle of Jesus as he is refining the church and in so doing, helping all discover life in him. That dynamic is also why it's so damaging when there are those who claim to be a follower of Christ, but have no notion of loving others the way that Christ has loved them and they don't bear any fruit of the Spirit. Right when, when people see that, it's, it's damaging on the faith because it's a false sign. You know, what happens there, it was, people will, will see that person and rather than see the truth that this person really is not a follower of Christ. Okay, remember Jesus's words on the Sermon on the Mount about true, true prophets versus false prophets. Bad fruit equals a bad tree. And so if someone is claiming to be a follower of Christ, yet never loves the way that Christ has loved one or not even make an attempt to do that. If someone claims to be a follower of Christ and there's no traces of fruits of the Spirit in their life, no effort to cultivate them, not even any corrections from the Holy Spirit to, to, to help them see their sin and turn from it, then that is revealing that that is, you know, that's someone that is not a follower of Christ. But what happens is people will see that person and think, well, they're claiming to be a follower of Jesus. And if that's the end result, if that's what that produces, then I'm good. I don't need any of that. That's a false sign to many that Jesus isn't real, that he has no power or authority in this world. And, and, and it's, it, it's, that's why it's so damaging. But it, again, it's not, that, it's not that we have to be perfect it's not that, that's not it at all. But if the trajectory of our lives is one that is demonstrating that we are being led by the Spirit, then yes, we will be free to serve one another in love. We'll have the fruits of the Spirit in our lives and our life will be a sign that speaks to the authority and power of Jesus to restore, redeem, and give life 
to any and to all. And so my goal for us this morning was to help us see this ongoing miracle, the ongoing sign of his authority and power and know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you, regardless of your background, regardless of your current situation, that he has made a way for you to be able to participate in it and show the whole world its hope. And so maybe for you this morning, like maybe you can identify with the, the plight of the leper, right? The, and the response of the leper. You know, the leper, he was aware of his ailment. Like he knew he was sick and he wanted to be healed, knew Jesus could heal him, but wasn't sure if, he was, if Jesus was willing to heal him. And that might be where some of you are. You're aware of your sin. You're aware of your shortcomings. And, and you're aware of that ailment. And you might even feel like you're especially being judged by, by the Lord because of them. But you might be questioning, is there any way or, or thinking there's no way that his grace and healing would extend to you? Your thought is he could if he wanted to, but you're not so sure he wants to. Know this, God's compassion, God's grace, God's mercy, it extends to you. It is there for you. Trust in him. Trust in his, that he has the authority and that he has the power to save you from your sins, to bring you into his kingdom, and that he will continue to refine your life as part of his church. Trust in him. And in that moment, you'll become part of the ongoing miracle in this world as you experience the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And yes, your life will now become another sign of the hope and the joy that we have in Christ. And if, if you're a follower of Christ, I pray that you know and embrace your role in this ongoing miracle, that with your life, you put on display the authority and the power that Christ has over you. In that way, your life continually becomes a signpost for his kingdom, helping others discover life in him. I think it's a way that you put flesh and blood on the kingdom of God as you demonstrate to others the fruits of the spirit in your daily interactions. And yes, I believe it's a way that we continually experience the love of Christ and can join in his redeeming work. Let me pray for us. God, we love you and we thank you we thank you that you are continually active. We thank you that there is the ongoing miracle of the fruits of the Spirit in our life, Lord God. You bring these about and you produce them in our lives and in ever-increasing measure, God. Even those moments where we are uh, chasing after the desires of the flesh, even those moments where we have no notion of, of uh, following you, Lord God, the Holy Spirit is there to convict uh, to correct and to help us see our sin and turn from it. And so God, I pray that we would continually with our lives yield to you, walk in step with the Spirit, and in so doing, uh, show the ongoing miracle that points to, that is a sign of your continued power and authority in this world. And God, I pray that all of us can know uh, that that is a promise that can extend to anyone and everyone. So God, if there are people that are listening and and, and and here this morning, God, that don't know you, God, I pray that they would know that you can save them from their sins and that you are willing to save them from their sins. God, if they would but trust in you. God, I pray that all of us would continually rest in your grace and in your compassion and in your mercy and know that when we've placed our faith in you, that our lives can be another sign towards your power and your authority in this world. 
that you are continually bringing it into your will. So God, help us to live for you and to let our lives be a sign that point others to you and the transformation that you bring. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.